Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. You've been at the company for several years with lots of value brought in, but aren't seeing it in your paycheck. You're enjoying working from home and want to make it a permanent thing at your workplace. You've decided to buy that new car, but hate high-pressure salesmen. Welcome to the world of negotiation. In this episode, we're going to introduce the basic concepts of negotiation, walking you through the process from planning beforehand to closing the deal. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? I, I wouldn't say I've been fighting it. I've been enjoying it. I've been playing around uh, with TypeScript and Node and Mongo. And the main thing I disliked about Node was JavaScript, you know, the, the loose typing, just how many times I'd end up in a weird corner and get and, and like fighting a bug that I couldn't find because of the type system. And if I do do the things in TypeScript, I don't have that problem. And now I'm looking at it going, this, this is just about as good as my C sharp environment. And then with Mongo, I'm like, this is better. I'm not fighting like crazy deep queries. I'm just, I'm like that close to just switching, you know? <laughs> um, Are you looking at like a uh, Mern stack? Uh, probably. Yeah. Give or take. Let's see. That's, uh, that's Mongo Express uh, React and Node. Yeah. I'm not sure about whether I would go for Express or not, there's some other there's some other routing engines that look compelling as well. Yeah. And so I've actually been like watching some of the flame wars between adherents of those things, uh, you know, <laughs> just to see who has a good point. Uh, yeah. But I, I haven't made a decision on that yet. But yeah, I'm sense. I'm really liking it. And you know, with doing the Gatsby stuff, I'm having to write a lot of JavaScript anyway. Mm-hmm. And so my JavaScript has gotten better just in the last two or three weeks. Mm. than it was, even though, you know, I do it all the time at work, but not like the structured, hey, I'm writing a command line app in JavaScript for utility purposes or whatever. And so that's, it's been interesting. So how about you? I remember when you had me doing uh, JavaScript in vanilla JavaScript, I wasn't even allowed to use jQuery. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, no. Man, uh, well, first off, since we're talking about closing the deal, I uh, went to a wedding couple weeks ago. And let me tell you, I needed that break. I ended up taking two days off for the trip because we decided to spend an extra night in Alabama so that we could visit some breweries in Birmingham on the way back. So four days and my only responsibility was to stream the wedding so that Amanda's parents could watch it. Her dad had hurt his back so they couldn't travel down to Southern Alabama. I didn't set an alarm the entire time I was down there, and it was glorious. I still woke up fairly early in the morning, but I didn't have to. We got to the wedding venue a couple hours early on Saturday to set up the equipment. That really took most of the time. I'm glad we got there as early as we did. Thing is, I haven't streamed directly from Facebook in a little bit, so I didn't know they'd changed their interface. And it's apparently rather new change because they still have the option to go back to the old interface. You mean the UI changes? Because they hit me with those today. Yeah. For the the streaming on Facebook, live streaming. And so, yeah, I've been using Restream. That's what we use at church. And so I've just been using that. And to stream to a private group, you have to pay for Restream. And I was trying to kind of save money. I should have just gone ahead and paid the 20 bucks and done it. Anyway, it didn't work. First off, it didn't recognize the camera. Then when I went to my backup camera, it wouldn't start the stream. Finally, as the music started for the the procession, I just gave up and went with my quaternary plan and held my phone from the front row. <laughs> you should have yelled World Star a couple of times just to make sure. <laughs> um, you know what? It worked. Everyone was happy and my job was done. I got to go and enjoy the rest of the wedding, you know, eat some cake, have some champagne, dance a little bit. It was awesome. After the wedding, 
uh, we were going to go hang out with Amanda's older brother, but uh, their kids fell asleep. And so they're like, hey, we're, we'll hang out another time. They live in Clarksville, so it's not very far away. Uh, so we hit up one of the breweries down in Mobile. And we're sitting outside just kind of sipping on some beer. And like, I looked over at Amanda. I was like, I am relaxed. I'm relaxed for the first time in months because I've just been go, go, go. Uh, especially through this crisis as we've had to like, like our whole team for streaming at church was created and we've just been constantly, you know, figuring stuff out and doing stuff. And so this is the first time I've actually had to like sit back and not have to worry about getting something set up or doing anything. And it was nice. You know, we didn't have to check out of the hotel until noon and all we were doing was driving a few hours up to Birmingham so that we could go visit some breweries. And that was just cool, man. It was it was really relaxing and really good. So with that said, let's get on into Book Club. The 14th quality of a team player is self-improvement. And I quote from the book, to improve the team, improve yourself. This is the first time I've ever read a book that said, put down the book and pick up your phone. Of course, this book was written before the advent of smartphones. So Maxwell was making a point that the manufacturer of most phones back when this book was written was Nokia. Um, Now, of course, in 2019, Samsung produced the most phones in the world. But back when this book was written, that was Nokia. And almost everyone had a Nokia phone. I remember I did back then, too. Uh, He goes on to talk about how Nokia started as a uh, small pulp mill in the 1860s. However, the company didn't stay in the wood business long and sought to grow and improve itself. In the 1990s, the company CEO decided to focus on the area of greatest potential, communication, and drop all the other areas, including wood and rubber, which had built the company up to that point. Maxwell goes on to talk about how people tend to look for quick fixes to problems rather than long-term solutions. This strategy causes them to stop moving forward once the pressure is no longer there. He states that people who are constantly improving themselves by making preparation, contemplation, and application an ongoing cycle in their lives. He gives three ways to become self-improving. Become highly teachable, plan your progress, and value self-improvement more than you value self-promotion. You'll find a link to the book in the show notes. Your advertisement could be here. Uh, If you remember those signs by the side of the road, guess what? This is the digital equivalent. Uh, If you like the show and would like to advertise on here, send us an email to adverts at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Uh, We have short-term, long-term, and other sponsorship opportunities. Reach out to us and let us help you reach the people that you're serving. Negotiation is defined as a discussion that is aimed at reaching an agreement. It is used to settle differences and reach a compromise without argument or dispute. People will aim to get the best deal for themselves when coming to an agreement. However, the idea of good negotiation is to find mutual benefit in order to maintain a relationship between the parties involved. A lot of people dread negotiating with others. Uh, What they don't realize is that they're negotiating all the time, even daily. Formal negotiations happen when discussing terms of a job offer with a recruiter or when buying a new car, but informal ones are more common and occur when you do things like determining who gets to pick the movie for date night, you know, working out a conflict between coworkers or convincing a client to take a late delivery. Whether we like it or not, we are negotiating all the time. Learning the basics of negotiation can help us to be better able to come to an agreement faster and with better results for all the parties involved. In this episode, we're going to discuss the basics of negotiation from what you need to do before going into a negotiation to what to do while in the middle of it and how to respond to offers and counter offers. Finally, we'll talk about some common tactics that people use when negotiating and how to counter them. 
So I guess to get started, let's talk about what you need to do to prepare before you go into a negotiation. Yeah. The first thing is you need to know what you're trying to accomplish. I mean, this is this is key. If you don't know that, you're not going to have a goal. You're not going to have a plan. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. So like the first thing you have to do is know what is it that I want out of this? Like, why am I going into this negotiation? If you're talking with a recruiter, you know, you kind of, some of them, especially in the formal setting, you're, you're starting off with knowing what you're trying to accomplish uh, from a loose standpoint. You know, you're trying to get a job that pays well. You may not know exactly the details behind that. And that's where the preparation comes in. Uh, in a more informal setting, though, you're not going to, you may not know going in, you know, if you're not prepared for it, what you're trying to accomplish. That's why you want to look at it beforehand and go, all right, I'm going into this. What am I trying to accomplish here? Yeah, you also need to have a definition of success. You need to know what that looks like or you're never going to attain it. Like you talked about with the recruiter thing, a lot of people are like, well, I want to get a job. Well, you can get a job. You can walk down to Wendy's, get a job. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to get a software development job that pays well and probably doesn't work you to death and those kind of things, actually kind of write that stuff down and really figure that out. Don't just, I'm going to get a job because that's probably not going to help you very much. Mm -hmm. And along with that, you also need to kind of build an idea of what the minimum is that you're going to accept. Yeah, like, yeah, you need to know what it is you're going for and then know kind of like, all right, what's the the minimum of that that I'm willing to accept? Because if you don't set that going into the negotiation, then you will be talked out of what you really want or need from that matter. I mean, you know, if here's an example, my little sister just bought a new vehicle because they have a third child on the way and, you know, they needed two rows of seating. That was a bare minimum. They could not get anything that didn't have that. Right. And if they if they didn't go into the negotiations with that bare minimum in mind, then they could have easily been talked into, oh, well, we can you can fit three kids in this one back seat. And the the whole goal of having the two rows of seating was to be able to spread the kids out so that they wouldn't bicker and fight because they're all young kids and that's what they that's do. What kids do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's one of the services they offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and when you're, you're preparing, you need to prepare uh, a BANTA. And that's an acronym for best alternative to a negotiated agreement. Right. It's not the thing from Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, well, you Do know, it. I'm a nerd. <laughs> the thing about this is, is this, you know, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement, you know, that's kind of your fallback if you can't get what you want out of the negotiations. Yeah. Well, it's like going back to car negotiations. When Amanda was buying her new car, she had the car in mind that she wanted. But if she couldn't get a good deal on that, she could walk away because there is another dealership down the road that had a car that she liked too. So she had that ability to walk away. And that's what you need to do. Before you even go into a negotiation, you need to have the ability to walk away in your mind. All right, what am I going to do? You don't need to be panicking and going, all right, well, I'm going to stand my ground and just walk away, but I have no idea what I'm going to do. You need right. to have that in mind. <laughs> Okay, I, I just I have to tell this story. I think I've told it before, but uh, I remember when I was in grad school the first time. Uh, I was working at a job, and um, I had been I was studying psychology. I had been a behavior specialist, and they company got bought. They transferred me to management. I hated it, and after a few weeks, I ended up just quitting. And I went to to school that day. It was in May. It was a May master class, and I told my friends at school that I had put in my two-week notice and they were like, what, we didn't know you were looking for a job. And I'm like, I didn't either. Neither did I. <laughs> and they're like, you don't, you don't have a backup? You don't have a job already lined up? That's not like you at all. 
And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that, that would says how bad it was that I just walked away without that backup plan. But yeah, I mean, had I prepared to leave, I would have already been interviewing and had a job lined up. But yeah, so that's what happens. Um, I got lucky because my friend uh, in class said, oh, well, we're hiring um, at the psychiatric hospital. And I ended up getting one of my favorite jobs after that. But, you know, not everybody is able to to do that. So the second uh, critical thing is to understand your opponent. So you need to learn about the person or people with whom you're going to be negotiating, especially what power they have in, in the negotiation. Yeah, um, this is very, very key because you want to get as much information about the person. You are negotiating with them. It's a it's a person-to-person thing. Like you, you need to know if you're like, say, for example, in sales or if you're trying to get get your company to do something, you know, you need to know the details. Like if you're trying to get get work from home, you need to know all the details about work from home. But uh, you also need to know details about your boss and things like when's a good time to talk to him? When's a bad time to talk to him? How can you recognize like it may be, you know, morning is normally a good time to talk to him, but they may have, you know, had a bad morning and you need to know how to recognize that. So it is a, a this is one of the s- skills you have to kind of pick up is how to understand people. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually used this kind of strategy before uh, negotiating for software purchases. And mm-hmm. I saved the company five or $6,000 with a couple of emails. Mm-hmm. Because the company we were working with, they I knew their salespeople had quotas for the end of the month or they had sales targets. And so what I would do is the last day of the month at about 10 o'clock in the morning, I'd send an email going, hey, we want to renew. You know, Is there any kind of deal you can get us? Because you know that that's when they're getting squeezed. And so I could get a deal in just you know a couple of minutes of effort and save a bunch of money and not really you know, take a whole lot of time out of my day. It was perfect. Yeah. That makes so, sense. It works really well if you if you know what you know what the uh, constraints are on these people, you know, in any uh, the other party, you can usually do better. Also, make sure you're working with people who have the authority to approve a deal and give you what you want. Uh, for example, your lead developer may agree that work from home is great, but they're probably not going to be able to make that call. Right. Yeah, it's it's the worst thing in the world when you start negotiating with somebody that doesn't have the power and you mm-hmm. hem and haw and go back and forth to a negotiating position and then they get the person that can actually make the decision and you get to negotiate again from that as a starting point. That hurts. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes they'll use that. I, I put this up here because uh, a little bit later we're going to talk about the various hardcore negotiation strategies or tactics. When I was looking it up, one of them was the, oh, I don't have the authority to make that call. And so it's it's a wear you down tactic where they'll send in someone who doesn't have that authority uh, to wear you down so that when the person who does have the authority comes in, you're more likely to do to accept a lesser deal for you because you've already gone through it with the person who didn't have the authority and you're just exhausted. So yeah, this is this is something you have to, you know, find out early on if the person you're working with has the authority to make that. Yeah, cuz I've been that guy that uh that was actually in charge of wearing them down <laughs> before yeah. too. Oh, I could see you being really good at that. Oh yeah, it's just <laughs> like you know, this is this is something for you to do to take an hour or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I was working in sales, that was one of the the key things was you were polite to everyone, but you were you were very firm about making sure you spoke to the decision maker. You know, I worked in business to business sales, so it was small businesses most of the time it was the owner. And so, you know, I could talk to a manager and I'd be polite to him. I could tell him how cool our stuff was, but I wasn't gonna give him any I wasn't gonna go into my sales pitch with them. I would just be like, you know, excited about the product. When I would wait until I got to their, you know, that decision maker before I really went into the sales pitch. 
And the benefit of doing that is by being excited to the people who don't have that decision-making ability. When the manager comes back and goes, well, you talk to him, what'd you think? Be like, well, he was really excited about that product, you know, whatever it is you're selling, but you didn't waste, you didn't wear yourself down trying to sell to someone who couldn't make the call. So if you can try to talk to others who've negotiated with the person or people uh, in the past and get ideas on what works and what doesn't work. Going back to business to business sales, you, you kind of take over a region and sometimes you have people who are retiring and they hand over their, their sales areas and stuff. And so you talk to them about, all right, who, who's the person to talk to? Find out the, you know, what they like, what they dislike. You know, some people, the, the hard and fast tactics work. They want you to get in, tell them what you got, tell them what they can use it for and get out. Some people, they don't want that. They want that, that relationship building, that slower approach. And you got to know that. And if you can talk to someone who's, who's negotiated with the person before, they can tell you what kind of strategy you, works best. Yeah. And you know, another thing too is to make sure and find out about their strengths and weaknesses so that you can take advantage of your strengths and their weaknesses. Now, this isn't an adversarial thing so much as it is you're trying to come to a agreement on something. So a lot of times your strength is a supplement to their weakness and that's the way you categorize that. It's not necessarily, you know, head to head. It's just sometimes there's things that really are to your advantage that you won't mention if you don't think about it. So get this stuff mm-hmm. down. And finally, under understanding your opponent, you want to decipher any patterns or styles of negotiation that they use so that you can turn that to your advantage. You know, I kind of talked about when you're asking other people who've negotiated with them what their styles are and, and learn it that way. This is sort of if you don't know anyone who's negotiated with them or you know, you can't talk to someone about it, when you get in there, you can pretty quickly pick up on, all right, this person is, uh, the, the two I use, this person is hard and fast. Get in, tell them what, what your offer is, you know, tell them why they need it and be done. Uh, versus this is someone who wants you to come in and spend the time kind of building them up and making it like building that, that relationship. If you're paying attention, you can pretty quickly tell these two types of people apart. Yeah. <laughs> Usually they'll tell you. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's honestly, true. Honestly, <laughs> like, it's not really, you're not doing detective work here. You're like, you know, oh, there's the patently obvious thing right in front of me. Yeah. So speaking of things that right in front of you, you need to make a plan ahead of time when you start uh, going into negotiations. You want to f- find out where your line is drawn and where you won't cross. Um, because you don't want to be trying to decide that in a negotiation when somebody's talking to you because your your thoughts are going to be muddled and you're going to be more desperate in that situation than you are beforehand. Yeah, you you want to have have those hard lines. And we talked about this in, in preparing. This is this is taking that preparation and applying it to the to the specific situation. Now, a big thing with making a plan is the first offer, whoever makes it sets the benchmark so you know if you are if you're the one who makes it and it that's going to be based on a, a lot of different things in a negotiation like you know in some situations you don't want to be the first person to make an offer uh like salary negotiations whereas if you are in a sales role then it is like as the salesperson it's up to you to make the first offer Right. But that is going to set the benchmark. So you need to be aggressive and ask for more than you want so that you have room to compromise and to give things up. Yeah, there's always going to be some give and take in most negotiations, except when you're negotiating either with somebody who won't move at all or who doesn't know what they're doing. There's going to be give and take. And you have to know what you're willing and unwilling to compromise on. Yeah. I would say if there's not give and take, then it's not a negotiation. Yeah. Yeah, by the by the definition of a negotiation, it's it's not a negotiation. It's it's something else, but I would not call that a negotiation myself. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but you're yeah i um yeah you're you're right you do run into those people and we'll we'll actually talk about that in a little bit yeah and another strategy is to have a few concessions ready that don't reduce your position mm-hmm. so you know you have something in there that you know maybe will annoy them about the deal you know you pick something that you're like yeah that'll probably annoy them and that's the thing i'm going to put in there so that they negotiate against that and they feel like they won and you still get the rest of the stuff you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the the places I read, I read a few articles about this. I used some of them in writing it, but I read quite a few. One of them talked about um, having, uh, like, they, they called it spare parts. So they're talking for salespeople, but just having those those extra things in there so that when they go, all right, well, can we? What can we get rid of to reduce the price? Or I can't go over this amount. Then, then you can be like, oh well, we can we can give up this or give up that. You know, if you're going in for, if you're negotiating, say with a recruiter about job stuff, you go in and say, you know, oh, I want all these things. Whereas, you know, the main things you want are I'm, I'm going to go with the ones that Will and I want: work from home, uh, living livable salary you know, stock options in the company would be nice, but they're not a requirement. That's something you can give up, you know, uh, stuff like that. You know, a company provided car would be really nice, but that's something you could give up. Yeah. I, I would probably <laughs> throw that out, you know, initially as, as a uh, negotiating point, just because I know that they know how much of a slob I am. And so they would resist that because they wouldn't want the cleaning bill. <laughs> and I can get the other stuff I wanted, right? Like, yeah. Now, granted, I've never worked anywhere that's given me a company car. <laughs> you know, fair enough. Fair enough. I actually um, don't think I, I've never had a company phone either. <laughs> she mentioned that. Nope. So, well, I, I purposely I've had a company phone places, and I don't ever want to do that again because when you have a company phone, they can call you at any time, or at least they think that. And then you know they don't like it when you turn that phone off, and you're like. I was asleep. Yeah, because people sleep at night. Yeah, there. I mean, there's there's concessions there, but uh, yeah, no, that's like being on call is one one of my hard lines. I no, I don't want to be. I've worked jobs where I was on call, and that's not something I ever want to do again. Yeah, I'd have to have triple the salary, at a minimum, to be doing that, because it's like you don't have your life, you don't have control over your life, and they don't want to pay you appropriately for the fact that. They're taking all that time from you. So it's that's that's definitely a red line for me as well. Yeah. Of course, I'm very happy where I'm at with my job. I get to do some really cool stuff and I work with some really awesome people. So I'm not looking to to go anywhere anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, I have been in those negotiations. I will tell you one thing that is really interesting. We we kind of don't, don't actually hit on this because uh, I just thought of it. But... Uh, I worked for a couple of places where they paid you for mileage. Yeah. And I had been told by someone else at a different place what they got paid for mileage. So when I went in, I just asked for what they got paid. I was like, here, like, here's what I would like. Actually, I asked for a little bit more than what they got paid because I figured there'd be some negotiation. And there was some negotiation. I ended up getting what the what my friend got paid for mileage, which was 15 cents more a mile than anyone else. Because everyone else had just had went in and they're like, oh, we pay 35 cents a mile. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. I went in and said, hey, can I have 75 cents a mile? And we negotiated down to 50. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was literally because no one else had gone in and thought to even negotiate on that point. They just accepted because, I mean, especially back in the early 2000s, 35 cents a mile was nice. You know, actually, it would be nice now because gas prices have dropped. But you're probably not going to be driving much anyway. Yeah, you can't go in wherever you go. <laughs> you know, you're, they're going to be standing on opposite sides of the glass door negotiating. <laughs> like, All right, we're done. I'm going to send you an email confirming this from my phone and you sign it. Send it back. <laughs> you know, we'll just stand here with our phones. Freaking dystopia. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Hey, you know what? I got I got the so y'all don't know this, but my my webcam messed up and I'm in black and white now. So yeah, Will says dystopia. I'm like, I got the black and white thing going on, man. Yeah, exactly. Like you need the character from the fly to pop in next and you would set. <laughs> yeah. Help <Hey>. me. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. So lastly, under making a plan, plan out your walk away point. You know, when the negotiation hits a standstill, your willingness to walk away will pressure the other party to accept your terms. Um, that said, your willingness to sit there and wait will do the exact same thing. Uh, right. When I bought my first truck, I was in med school and I just brought my books and my laptop and said, hey, here's what I'm willing to pay for it, uh, which was a fair price. It wasn't like we were like trying to jump them or anything. It was just like, here's what I'm willing to pay. And the guy's like, well, I need to go talk to my manager. I'm like, all right, cool. So I got my laptop out, got my books. They had free coffee. I wasn't having to pay for the coffee. So, you know, <laughs> I went and got a cup of coffee and I sat there. So their strategy is to bore you into compliance. Right. And whereas your strategy with medical trivia is the upgraded version of that. <laughs> you know? Well, so so their their strategy was to bore you into compliance. So like, all right, we're gonna make you wait ten or fifteen minutes and you're just gonna be like, Man, I don't wanna like I want I they'll come back with a little bit less like a counter offer to what you said. And you're like, man, I don't want to wait another, you know, much longer. I want to get on with my day. My strategy was, I'm going to tie up all your time and you're not going to make another sale. Right. And I'm going to study. <laughs> and the second time he left, he came back. He's like, he gave me the offer I made. And it was just like, boom. So you, yeah, we're going to talk about strategies in a bit. But the, just this popped up right here with like making a plan. I went in with that plan. I went in with my books and my laptop. My plan was to sit there and because I knew what they were going to do. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to counter this by I'm going to come in and study and I'm going to make it obvious because I like spread out my stuff on his desk. <laughs> so he couldn't yeah. even work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing is, is when you go in there and they can look at you and go, okay, this dude knows my game. Mm -hmm. You know, it. it's just not worth it trying to counter you at that level versus just trying to make it up on volume. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is he could get me out the door and still like, it wasn't like they weren't making a profit. Right. It, like he could get me out the door with a decent deal and go on and make another sale. Or he could try to get a few more thousand dollars out of me and end up missing out on, you know, 10 or $20,000 in sales. Right. And, and by the way, his commission was only a percent of that. Yeah. You know, a couple thousand right. bucks. Right. So like, yeah. it doesn't take very long at all before the break even point is hit. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So now that we've talked about what to do beforehand, when you're negotiating, you want to aim for both parties to get something out of the deal. This is called a win win scenario because both sides come away with something they want. Uh, in the story we just talked about of me buying my first truck, yes, I was asking for a better deal than what they wanted to give, but I wasn't asking them to lose money on the deal. They were still going to make money. It's just they weren't going to make as much money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where we, we both got something. The salesman got a commission, like he made enough to get a commission, but I also was able to get the truck at a decent rate. So, and that, that's what you want with these scenarios. Like, uh, Will, you wrote the book on remote work. What would be the win-win scenario when you're talking with your boss about maintaining that after this crisis is over? Uh, well, higher employee retention, uh, less disruption for the second wave or third wave or fifth wave of COVID, however many we end up getting. You know, it's easier to hire more workers. It's easier to get more work out of people. You have uh, improved documentation of your workflow. I mean, there's, and I cover cover this in the book, and that's, you know, kind of why that's in there. Is it's like, look, if you're going in and negotiating, going, I like work from home better, that's not a win. But if you tell the boss, hey, you like work from home better because here's why, it's a whole lot easier to to essentially make the sale. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense, uh, and you you really hit on an important point, it's very, very key that both sides feel they got something out of the deal. Right. Especially if this is going to be an ongoing relationship. So, you know, like, like with your boss, you're going to keep working for this person, presumably. 
at least for a while. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of the yeah, times I've negotiated, it hasn't lasted all that long, but you know, it happens. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the goal here is to continue working for this person in the way that you want. So you want them to get something out of it and you to get something out of it because, you know, I have, I have seen people who say, I want this or I'm leaving. And, you know, the response was, bye, Felicia. Now, the response is, here's a box. Pack your crap and get out. It's usually <laughs> a little bit more harsh than bye, Felicia. Yeah, I mean, you just definitely want to give them something that they win mm-hmm. for negotiating with you, right? Like, you know, the thing about, you know, the the win-lose type uh, arrangements is that even if this is a one-off, they're still going to be mad about it. And you don't know when that person's going to show back up. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one guy I have worked with at three different jobs and he has mentored a couple of my mentors (laughs) at different places. And it's like, you know, what if I went into a discussion or negotiation with him and burned him? Yeah. That's, that would not be a good look. Let's put it that way. It would, it would be almost impossible to do well enough on that first deal to make up for the loss on the downside. Yeah. It's crazy because taking that win lose strategy, even if you only think you're ever going to negotiate with the person once will come back to haunt you. Either it's going to affect your reputation or you're going to work with them or someone else they know, or you may end up having to interact with them again. I mean, that's, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. The whole point of negotiation is for both sides to come away with some value. Um, it's best if they can both get everything they want, but that's not always the reality. And that's why if you go in with, all right, this is, this is everything I want. This is what I'm willing to, to accept. And this is what I'll be happy walking away with. Then you can, you can have that negotiation and, they're going to come in with their idea of what they want and what they're willing to walk away with. And the whole point of negotiation is to find a way for both of you to get at minimum what you're willing to walk away with and at best everything you want. Most likely you're going to fall somewhere in between there. Yep. So the fifth one is to be patient. Don't negotiate with yourself. And by the way, that's a really good life rule just in general. Um, <laughs> if you make an offer first, then wait on the other person to make a counter offer. Don't make an offer and then start backing off from it. Because once mm-hmm. you do that, it's it's like running from a Doberman. You know, you're going to get bitten in the butt just because you're acting like a prey animal. Yeah, I've been in software pricing negotiations where the other party started doing that. And it is, it's like a natural, like feral reaction on my part. Like I will hammer them when they do it and I'll get a heck of a discount because they started running, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. like they look like somebody that can cut me a deal. Yeah. Um, Yeah. A lot of people will do this when they make an offer and they don't immediately or quickly get a counter offer. It's a, it's a tactic that teachers use. Yep. And professors use in the classroom, people are uncomfortable with silence. So they'll ask a question and then they'll stop talking. Well, a good one will. They'll ask a question and they'll stop talking and they'll walk around the room looking at people. And inevitably, someone has to speak up. Um, do you know how hard it was for me to learn to not be the one who spoke up? I question for sure whether you've ever learned that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah (laughs) yeah i like to talk and you know i have learned the value of uncomfortable silences um, which we're going to talk about momentarily make sure that you get a counter offer uh, before making any concessions on your original offer um you know like will said don't make an offer and then immediately start backing off or even you like don't make an offer. And if they ignore your offer and keep talking, you start backing off or come in with a second lesser offer. No, stand firm. If you make an offer and they're still talking, they're not ready to counter offer or accept your offer. 
Keep talking to them. Keep selling your original offer. Don't back off of it. Keep pushing that offer until they either accept it or make a, a counter offer. You know, it, it's a it's a sales tactic. Uh, closing the deal. It's like you. Uh, it's ABC. Always be closing. Well, and the other thing too is like <laughs> the the notion of interrupting somebody while they're considering your offer. <laughs> You know, they might have been about to accept and you just intercepted that thought with a lower price point. Like, yeah. why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're you're trying to talk them into into something big, like permanent work from home, or you know, you're you're wanting to make yeah, you know, you're you're talking a big salary negotiation, you're talking a big sales, you're you're a big purchase, and your company makes an offer. Of like, all right, well, we'll give you this much for that. And, you know, they may be, they may be considering it and they may continue talking to you because they are uncomfortable by the silence, but they're considering your offer the whole time they're talking to you. They're just trying to fill that silence while they plan it out. This is a big tactic with, uh, when you have multiple negotiators in the room. Yeah. Where one of them, will continue talking while the other one calculates out, all right, can we accept that offer or what can we counter offer with? And then if you come back while they're while they're making that plan with a lesser offer, you've just opened yourself up because they're like, oh, well, we can get a lot more than what we were even thinking. Well, the other thing too is if they're uncomfortable with the silence, they'll tell you stuff that helps you make the sale or that might help you make an upsell. That's so true. Right. So like your boss, like you could be going to your boss and going, you know, hey, I want to work from home two days a week. And your boss is trying to fill the silence and they let out that, you know, it'd be really great if, you know, we did allow work from home four days a week for that matter and just came in for the day that we have meetings. And they may leak that out because they're thinking about what you said more than what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Like that is completely possible. Yeah, that's that's true. I. I I like your thinking there. I'll give you a great example of that. Uh, So one of my coworkers, he now lives in Mississippi. We went to four days a week, coming in one day. His wife got a job. Uh, She's a software developer as well. She actually used to work with us. But uh, she got a job, and they were going to move back home to Mississippi, where they're from. And he he came in, and he's like, hey, you know, she got a job. I've interviewed at a place. They're making me an offer down there. I really like working here. I like you guys, but I can't work here and come in one day a week and live in Mississippi. He's like, can we make it where I come in twice a month? And through the the boss at the time talking about it, talking it out, he ended up getting to come in one day a month. And so they turned that into a working vacation where they come up to Nashville. Well, they don't now because none of us are coming into the office, but they had turned that into a working vacation where they would come and spend the weekend with some uh, family uh, up here in Tennessee. And it was just, you know, he was asking for like for a lot less and ended up because of that, that exact strategy, getting more than what he even came in asking for. So yeah, it, it totally works. I will say this though, not making a credible offer may lead the other side to ignore your offer completely and may even end the negotiations early. Yeah. So if you go in saying, you know, I want to work from home, you know, you didn't put a you didn't put an amount on it. You didn't say I want to work from home one day a week. You just kind of said, I want to work from home. Open ended, like that is not a credible offer. That's not a credible negotiating point. Mm-hmm. And so when you come in there like that. Yeah, they're going to totally ignore you. Or more than likely, they're actually going to build their resistance up. So when you do get your act together, it's harder yeah. to negotiate. Yeah. Well, like if this coworker of mine had gone in and asked for never coming into the office, he wouldn't have gotten that. Right. Like, And, you know, then if he'd come back and said, well, what about two days a month? They would have just ignored it and said, no, we'll, we'll just replace you. But because he came in with a credible offer and did such a good job negotiating, he was able to get more than what he wanted out of it. Next, and I kind of hinted at this earlier, know when to keep your mouth shut. Key to a lot of things. 
Yeah. Except for podcasting. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Silence can be your greatest ally. Don't make the mistake of continuing to talk after you've succeeded in getting what you want. You know, they may have said yes, and you keep trying to sell them on it. Um, Not that I've ever, ever done this in the past. I have. Weak. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh... And I remember one of the best compliments I got at my previous job was I was actually in a sales call and, you know, said enough to to basically raise the buying temperature and to get them talking about, you know, wanting the software. And then I shut up and my boss was like, that's exactly what you do. And yeah, but I've also done the other thing where you just jabber about, well, it could do this and do this. And it's like they've already they already want, like give them the freaking contract and let them sign it. Like, don't keep, you know, because you don't sound confident when you do that, right? Like, it's like, okay, you've made the sale, accept the sale. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a a key thing when I was learning sales, especially business to business sales, because it's really easy. And this is the thing. There's a difference between, we're not talking about upselling. We're talking about you're still trying to make the sale. You know, we're not talking... Uh, going back to the example of my coworker, we're not talking about trying to get the two only coming in two days a month. We're talking about going for not coming in at all and then settling on one day a month. You know, um, we're talking that, that like keep your mouth shut when it comes to they've agreed to your terms. They've agreed to what you want. And one of the, one of the big reasons for this is something that the best negotiators know. They know that. Listening is way more important than talking. Yeah. You know, because if you've already overcome all the objections, the only thing you're talking can do is create more of them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you're not going to, it's, it's almost like you have to get up to, you know, from it being an off to an on. And, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit field. It's not an extra large value of true. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, so like shut up and stop <laughs> instead yeah. of trying to do that. Yeah, boy, that really put that in programmer terms, I guess, on that one. That was good. Think about it is talking too much. A lot of times it's not about finding an acceptable compromise. It's not about finding a win-win scenario. It's about proving a point. I mean, just look at social media. Yeah. Like how many of those people proved a point versus how many of them convinced anybody? Yeah. It's and it doesn't matter. Any disagreement you see on social media from, you know, whether dark or light roast tastes better in coffee to anything on the political scale, it doesn't matter. If you look at social media, you will see this exact thing in play where people are just talking to prove a point. Yeah. Although I will admit the dark roast is better. So fight. I'm not going to because I agree, but uh, <laughs> okay. apparently baristas, <laughs> well, somebody will. Well, we'll get a listener send an angry email here. <laughs> I gave you a one star iTunes rating because you like your coffee dark <laughs> and you're wrong. Uh, I don't I don't know how many, uh, how popular we are amongst baristas. I know a couple who listen to us because they're in school for computer science, but that's about it. You never sure. know. Hey guys, you know who I'm talking to. Uh, <laughs> also, you got to be careful what you say, especially early on, as once you said something, you can't retract it. Um, oh my goodness, I got an email just yesterday that I was reading. I'm like, what? I don't like this didn't make sense because the person sent it to the wrong group and then he retracted it. And that's a weird thing about Outlook is when someone retracts an email, it doesn't actually delete the email. It sends a message saying so and so retracted that email. Yeah, so and so retracted this email in which they said, "Yeah, <laughs> you know these things." Yes. Uh, <laughs> um. So you need to talk enough to get your point across, to have that back and forth. But you got to watch what you say because, I mean, especially if it's a first first impressions, you know, you only get one time to make them. Yeah, which which is also why like stuff like politics probably doesn't need to be in the sales process unless you know what the person's politics are very very well. 
because it's so easy to put a foot wrong. Oh yeah, even then I would hesitate just because they may agree with 90% of what one candidate says or what one party says. And then you talk about that 10% that they disagree with. Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's, I've actually seen that happen. And it's so funny when you're not like, when you don't have anything in the game and you're just sitting back watching it. You know, and that, that brings up something interesting that happens in those situations too, is like, if you mostly agree, like people are a lot harsher to near defectors than they are to far defectors. So if you slightly disagree on something, I mean, like like Baptist and Church of Christ, for instance, they'll butt heads all day long over stuff, but you get a Church of Christ person and a Catholic, there's no argument because they're so far apart. <laughs> they don't have the discussion points. You know, it's like, it's, it's a weird thing with human behavior. So be really careful about that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I should have known that given that I grew up Church of Christ and I, you know, dated so many Catholics. Yeah. <laughs> but no Baptists, right? Not that I recall, no. Yeah, I can't think of any either. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's it's a thing. Uh, that's a I'm not fair, sure. Fair point. <laughs> I'm not sure why that makes sense, but it definitely definitely yeah. fits. That's so <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's that's Speaking a, of stuff yeah. like that, uh, yeah. understand how to deal with various hardcore negotiation tactics and styles, because if you are in one of those situations, that's what you're going to be getting. Yeah, I mean, this is we've kind of hinted at this throughout the entire episode. This is sort of the, the culmination of everything we've talked about. This is the you're in you're in the negotiation and someone throws out one of these. How do you deal with it? So we've got, um, there's a bunch of them. I picked some of them. I just kind of sprinkled in throughout the episode. These are the ones that I thought need specifically addressing because of the way you have to deal with them. The first one is large requests or demands, but little to no concessions. This is probably the most common tactic because it, people think that it protects the deal maker. Like they, they think they're protecting themselves by making, you know, and it it's it's a misunderstanding of the what we said early on, which is, you know, make your first offer a big offer. It's it's taking half of that and make a big offer, make a lot of demands, but it's not having the concessions ready. It's not being willing to give some from that. And so like people think that it's going to protect them during the process, but what it does is it hurts the negotiation process. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is, I mean, this is like going into McDonald's and ordering a steak. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you think you're going to get out of that? You're going to get a very frustrated cashier. The trick to this is to know your goals going in and to not respond to this over the top stuff. Mm -hmm. um, whether that means walking away or that means you know, letting them just kind of burn that out. But what you don't want to do is like go with it. Yeah. No. And go, Oh, sir, you know, well, McDonald's doesn't have steak, but we can, you know, we can make you a hamburger and put like an egg on it or something. So you feel like you're rich. Like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which if you're at the point of doing that in McDonald's, you've got other problems. I'm just trying to think the last time I ate it at McDonald's. I mean, it was definitely in, I think it was the last time I ate at McDonald's was when we were meeting at your house and I was living probably down here in Christiana before my mom moved into that house and I moved out because I would stop and get food on the way home. Yeah. And there's not exactly a lot of options here, right? Like that's the food yeah. of desperation. The other option is chasing a squirrel. <laughs> yeah. Which and the squirrels around here are quick. So clearly that's at least some people's option. Yeah. So the next one is the all or nothing strategy. They This happens when someone makes an offer, but they make it very clear. They may overtly state it, that it is non-negotiable. Like we, like they, they come in, this is very similar to the large request, but this is like a legit offer, but they say no negotiation. You, you might see this a lot in job offers. The trick to it is to just straight up ignore the offer 
and instead focus on the content. Uh, find out what it is in that offer that is like their key things, and then come back with a counter offer that addresses the needs of both sides. So that that gets the things that you need and the things from their offer that are really key. Yeah, because everything is negotiable pretty much. It's just whether there's a price that you can pay or that you're willing to pay. Another thing that people will do in a negotiation is they'll try to push you to a breaking point. So they'll keep asking for more and more until you finally concede. Or they'll offer you less and less until you're like, oh, you know, you get that fear of loss and you don't go, you don't, you know, negotiate anymore because you're afraid it's going to be even worse after this. This tends to be kind of a power play because the person with more power in the situation does this or the person that feels like they have more power does it. Yeah. But the thing is, they don't get anything if they lose the negotiation. It's a, it's a, it's a hardcore strategy that is very much an all or nothing kind of strategy. Like it's, it's very similar to that, but it's, it's the, all right, we're going to, we're going to say all or nothing this, and then we're going to drop it and we're going to like give you less. And less and less the every time you oppose, yeah, and then act like, oh, I'm doing you a favor. Like, yes. come on, man. Yeah. No, you're not. Yeah, the way to deal with this is to just straight up call them out on the tactic. You know, this is this is one that you just got to be direct. Be like, dude, no, I, I yeah. see what you're doing, and I'm not going to play that game. Uh, state that you will not continue unless they agree to a back and forth exchange of offers. This this strategy is one of the main reasons we have, like we talked about creating a banta back in your planning session. You This is why you have, all right, I'm just going to walk away. Because if they keep pushing like this, you can, you've got a backup plan. Well, if they keep um, pushing like this, you don't have a deal. You don't have anything yeah. you want. Yeah. Um, now, something that, uh, that you might have to deal with, because a person who does this, We'll do this other thing too, and I don't have this in the notes. So Will's looking at me like I'm crazy. That's just my resting face, bro. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, another thing that that you might have to face is if you're like, all right, I'm just going to go with this other option. You may have to deal with them denigrating your other option. Like they may, and oh. they may know your other options, and they and come in trash talking them. I'll tell you, you guys, right now, even if I know, if you come in trash talking your opposition. Like it's one thing to come in and say, okay, they offer you this, we offer you this, this is why we are better. But if you talk about how bad they are, I'm immediately going to dismiss everything you say. Yeah, because there's no other choice. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> you know that they're going to say the same thing about you later. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like why, why play along with that? Which leads right into the final one, which is the ad hominem. This is a logical fallacy of attacking the person instead of the idea or the argument. This is where they they go for a personal attack rather than like going with a back and forth. Yeah, I've been in a lot of negotiations like this. I've I've worked with several people that this was their go-to because they couldn't really negotiate, you know, otherwise and yeah, I mean the thing is is you got to you got to step back and you got to cool off so that you don't explode on them because that's really what they're going for. And then you deal with them like they're a temperamental child. Yeah. Because that's what they are. So guys, it takes two to tango or to negotiate. Uh, If you or the other party feels that you're not getting something out of the deal, you can walk away. You may be the best option, but if they don't feel they're getting what they need, they're likely not going to accept your offer and may even leave the negotiation. And remember that while you have a backup plan or a banta, so does the other side. Doing your research and preparing before you go into any negotiation will help you come out ahead and happy. That pretty much wraps us up before we close everything out. Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, I'll add one uh, kind of sub point to the whole discussion. And that is, is be careful that you're not negotiating things that aren't negotiable. Um, so for instance, I know quite a few people who negotiate things in their personal relationships that they shouldn't be negotiating, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you'll see this with like the desperate nerdy guys and some of the girls, like 
you know, probably like late high school and college where they try to negotiate somebody into feeling attraction for them. And that's not a negotiable thing. Um, it's, it's at a level that's, that's completely different from that. Um, another good example is I'm not going to negotiate and say, you know, if you treat me like a decent human being, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, you're going to treat me like I'm a decent human being full stop. Mm -hmm. That's not a negotiable thing. And if you start out treating it like it is negotiable, it'll get negotiated away from you. So do be careful that you understand the difference between things that should be in a negotiation and things that shouldn't, because that will make your negotiations better. It'll also make the things that are non-negotiable better. Um, just understanding the difference. So that's pretty much all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.